0: Woohoo! We are excited. We're coming in. Guys, my name is Josh. I'm a volunteer here at Revolution. We're really glad that you're here. Uh, a couple things. We're just going to let you know real quick before we dive into some stuff. Um, one is, I know there was a meeting for nursery, but if there's something that you, you missed it, you were late for whatever reason, come talk to Autumn. I'm sure there's some information there on that. Second, next week, there will be a meeting with the covenant. This is something we've been talking about. You hopefully have some literature and writing. If you don't, it's back there in the table. The covenant is, a, is kind of a document that kind of is commitment with this group of people who call revolution home. And these people who want to work alongside the leadership team to kind of help facilitate what God's going to do here through revolution and use us however we, he sees fit. There'll be a meeting next week, 5.30. I guess there's some sort of tryout or something. That they're going to do like sword drills. I don't know. But they'll have more information about that next week, 5.30. And then there'll be some other follow up some things with that. Be praying. If that's something that you want to do, we'd love for you to be a part of it. It's a great thing to team up with the leadership people here and to really move forward. And in two weeks, uh, the Super Bowl, on Super Bowl Sunday, we will meet at 5 o'clock. We won't meet at the regularly scheduled time at 6.30 because there is a game of football at 7 or something. And the kids here at Christ Community need the building. So we're going to meet here at 5, and then Ryan's going to supply all the pizza and wings for us somewhere else. Is that right? Whatever. Okay, so talk to Ryan about that. So we're really excited. Um, I know Eric's going to bring the word tonight, I believe. I just We're going to take 30 seconds here and meet someone. I know I just had you sit down, but we're going to stand back up. But this is the question I have this week. I, for the first time in my life, saw the ending of Titanic yesterday. Don't ask me why I saw it, okay? It was just on TV. My wife had the remote, not me. Anyway, she throws the diamond over the the edge, okay? Okay. Why? That's all that. It just made me so mad. It's like she had the diamond the whole time. She throws it in the water. Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it. Oh, well. But anyway, it kind of just like it didn't make sense. So it made me think about movies. Which would be, would you rather endure? If you paid $10 to go to a movie, and if any guy paid $10 to go see Titanic, don't admit it, but if you had to go see a movie, would you rather have that ending be so horrible that you're just mad, or would would you rather the movie be really good but run too long? Like Lord of the Rings, you know, that third movie that took like, Two hours just to end. So that's the question. Would you rather have a bad ending to a movie or a movie that's just way too long? You pay 10 bucks to go see. So we're gonna put some music on. I want you to get up, someone you don't know, introduce yourself, say hi. My name is whatever your name is, and then talk about just real quick. I'd rather see a bad ending movie or a movie that runs too long, whatever that may case may be. So we're gonna turn some music on. I want you to stand up, someone you don't know, find out about that movie. And then Eric, come on up, he'll bring us the words.
1: How's it going, Revolution? Sweet. So by your excitement, I know that you all said that you would rather see a movie that runs way too long, right? Right? See pretty much everybody. Um, Yeah, I would definitely see Lord of the Rings over Titanic. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Um, (laughs) All right. Um, So this week we are getting into a a topic... uh, that kind of flows directly from where David was at last week. Last week, David taught on depravity. Um, Just our general state as human beings before God, uh, where we have no ability to be righteous before God without the work of Christ. So tonight, we're going to talk about how does that work? How did did Jesus make that work on the cross? How how did he make a way for us to be right before God? And, And we call this atonement. Or specifically tonight, we're talking about penal substitutionary atonement, which um, is just like, um, that comes from the word punishment, uh, which, which is kind of like the, the penal system in the United States where you've got the prison systems, so that is, that's punishment and substitution where Christ has stepped in our place to take our punishment to make us right before God. Um, so we're getting into that tonight. And And, as David kind of laid out last week, he did a great job of of um, laying down the gospel and what that actually means and and so, I wanted to reiterate that we 've got some new people here tonight, and we want to make sure that everybody is fresh on the gospel at all times uh, and I think it 's very important for us to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day so that we know where we stand before God. we know what he 's done for us and and we 'll uh, we'll move from there so um, at the beginning of time, God created everything, all of the universe. He is the sovereign lord of of everything you have ever seen, everything that you can imagine, all of us, every thought we've ever had, everything. He created all of it. And 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 what he did was he, he had the garden of Eden where where Adam and Eve were were there and he gave them like one rule. He's like, "You can enjoy everything in the garden," which there was like Probably cool stuff that we've never even seen before there. The most perfect place in the universe. And, and he gave them one rule that we, they weren't allowed to eat the apple or whatever. It was actually a fruit. I don't know when it got translated to apple. But, um, and, and they disobeyed, right? They rebelled against God. They said they knew better than God and ate it anyway which infected all of humanity with sin. And as Doughty talked last week, uh, this is so deep within us that we cannot possibly please God. That every motivation behind our even good actions has a lot more to do with us than God. And so, and, and tonight... Um, I'm gonna focus on the next part of that equation which is God sent Christ, his, Jesus, his son to earth to, to be the perfect life that we did not have the ability to have anymore, right? That sin, which, since we're infected with sin, we do not have the ability to, to live righteously like Adam and Eve were supposed to, like we were supposed to. But that Christ came and he, he lived that perfect life and ultimately took our punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God so that he might make a way for us and God to be cool with each other. And at the end of time, he's going to make it all right that, that those who believe in him are going to be reconciled to him, that we would be in perfect relationship with him like it was back in the, uh, the garden So tonight we'll focus on what Christ did specifically on the cross, this idea of atonement. I've heard it many times called at-one-ment, which is kind of cheesy, but it makes a lot of sense. It's this idea of making things right between us and God, bringing us together. The Bible says that we are actually actually enemies of God. We like to think a lot of times that, oh, me and God are cool, right? Just for half a second. How many of you, before you became a Christian, thought that you were like basically a good person, right? Most of us, and probably the people that didn't raise their hand were the ones that were like born in the church, um, right? So they they have always they have always uh, kind of had some level of a relationship with God, um, or maybe that's kind of the background where you come from, and, and that tells you exactly why you thought you were okay with God. But um, we, we're we not ever, like, cool with God, right? If we're not in Christ, we're, we're not cool with God. We don't get to just um, say, well, I'm basically a good person. At least I'm not Hitler. At least I'm not, like, a Satan worshiper. So, like, I'm cool with God, right? I'm not a terrorist. I don't blow people up, so... Those are the people in hell. And Dowdy kind of touched on that a little bit last week where um, that's not it at all, right? That we all deserve hell, not just the ultra bad people. It's not um, those who don't follow the American dream or whatever it is. Um, that's, That's not an accurate picture of what hell is like and what it's about. And so... Christ began the, his, his work to bring us in right relationship with him on the cross. And, and this is kind of a picture of God's love, right? Whenever we hear the word God is love or the phrase God is love, um, I think we miss part of the picture typically because we think God is love, which means he just wants to bless me, versus what's happening on the cross is God is displaying his love and justice, right? Both. And, and equal measures on the cross, we can, we can see that image. You know, and the fact is that it was necessary that God, or it was not necessary at all for God to save anyone. He didn't have to, he didn't have to send Jesus, and he would have been perfectly justified because he's a just God. I think you touched on that last week, right, David? A little bit? Just a teeny bit? he he would be perfectly justified to not send Jesus. We would not be able to cry foul against God if he had not sent Jesus to be the sacrifice that we needed. If God chose to save no one, he'd be perfectly good. (laughs) You could almost make a better argument that God is unjust for saving anyone, right? If they're in perfect rebellion against him. I think that's probably a better argument to be made and and the way that i I kind of thought of how how can I explain that that God is perfectly just to not save anyone and I'm just thinking we're rebelling against his sovereign rule that he has He's laid out the way that he would have us live, the way that we would uh, be, and we've completely rebelled against that kind of the same way that if we, if we had like a militant group of anarchists that tried to take over our government, none of us would bat an eyelash or think that it was wrong that the government went in and obliterated all of them. Would you? Would any of you cry foul? No, right? Because we're Americans. And, and so we, we, we know that if you rebel against the sovereign rule of the Lord that you... You're, you're in rebellion, he is perfectly just to just wipe you out, right? And the Bible actually says that we, we are, there is enmity between us and God, that we are actually his enemies, that we're not cool with God. So let's, you know, we can't make that mistake, we can't uh, just sort of be good with God, we can't just be neutral, we can't be Switzerland in this instance, that we have to be good with God we have to be at peace with God we can't just be neutral so if any of you are here tonight and you 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 don't know Jesus you've this God thing is like oh it's kind of cool I'll check it out know that you can't just be cool with God you can't basically be a good person and it'll all work out in the end If God is the creator, the sovereign ruler of all things, and he has created us to glorify him in everything that we've done, and we're not glorifying him in everything that we do, and what's his response supposed to be? Just to be like, oh, you guys are cool, so I'll let you in anyway, right? That's that. That can't be his response. If you call him a just God, that can't be his response. So, I mean... Just think of today. How much of today have you spent glorifying God in everything that you do? Has anybody done that today? Nobody's going to raise their hand. (laughs) And this is a Sunday, which is like, you've been to church three times already today, so that means that you're extra holy. No, that is not it at all. How much in the last hour have you spent everything that you've done glorifying God? None of us could say 100%. None of us could say that everything we've done has been 100% for glorifying God. And Dowdy and I were actually talking about this um, like a week ago, that even whenever we're doing something that is specifically glorifying God, like worship or service, we're still not 100% glorifying God because there's always gonna be some part of us that is not 100% into it. If there's one ounce of your body during worship that is not 100% giving it all to Jesus, then you're not fulfilling the purpose that God made us for. You following me? I don't know if you actually mentioned that, week, that last week, uh, Dave, but um, you and I talked about that actually like right before church or, or something last week. Um, And that has been, like, eating me up all week. (laughs) I don't know about you guys. I don't know um, about what Dave's sermon last week did to you guys on the inside. But, like, I have been so aware of how much I suck this week. How much I don't spend glorifying God. How much of me is not devoted to him. So it's nothing but grace that he would save anybody. Um, in fact, if you guys you know, were to look at scripture, uh, God didn't give a second chance to any of the angels that rebelled. right? None of them. Jesus didn't die for any of them. He didn't give Satan a second chance. He didn't give any of his angels that fell with him. He didn't offer grace to any of them. And he is perfectly just. You guys can look that up in Second Peter if you like. So um, we're gonna transition here into our text, which I think I forgot a Bible. Here's one right here. We're looking at Hebrews chapter nine if you guys wanna start turning there. And we're gonna look at how Christ satisfied the wrath of God that he had rightly for sinners. We're looking at Hebrews 9, 12 through 15, and 22. If you guys don't have a Bible, or for the Bible at home um, is not easily readable, take this home with you. We think it's a faithful translation. I'm getting to fall in love with it as I use it more and more. And, uh, and I hope that, uh, that you guys would, would take this with you and that you would spend time in Scripture uh, as much as you can uh, because that's going to be the best way for you to grow, not, not to show up here once a week or, or whatever. It's, it's spending time in Scripture on your own and discussing it with others that you're really going to grow. So if, if this is the Bible that, that might help you to do that, please take it. It's our gift to you. Um, I think we're on page 730, 731. All right, let's, uh, let's start in verse 12. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow would cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds, or or literally that can be translated from dead works. So that we can worship the living God, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised to them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sins that they had committed under the first covenant. Jumping down to verse 22. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So, back in the back in the Old Testament, uh, Jewish people had to make sacrifices regularly. That every time they sinned, you know, depending on what the sin was, they had to make a sacrifice. They had to bring an animal, um, and the animal would have to die. That blood had to be shed for them to have forgiveness with God. That their sins were so serious to God that blood had to be spilt, that something had to die. It's this image that sin is the result of sin is death. And so something had to die in their place. They had to give up the very best of their flock, their, their best animal. This is the way that like these people supported themselves. That's like saying um, you, would, you would give up, um, if you're, you're a photographer by trade, you are giving up your camera, right? You wouldn't even have a way to make money then. Or you're giving up, Uh, something that is key for you doing day-to-day life. It was a major sacrifice. It wasn't the 10% or whatever it is that you're told to tithe. This was a major sacrifice. And this, this sacrifice would be the only thing that would appease God so that he would withhold his wrath on their judgment. And this system was like an incredible source of grace. That their, the seriousness of, of their transgressions, of our transgressions is infinite against God. That no matter how many sacrifices they made it would never fully cover the, the seriousness of their sin. That they could never sacrifice enough. They could never give anything up enough to satisfy God. But this System that God set up, He made it possible. He made a way for them to to have a right relationship with Him, and the same goes for us. No amount of 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 uh, donating or or do-gooding or service or um, anything is going to help you get closer to God, or is is going to make God think you're better, or or make you righteous before God. That. I can stand up here once a week or once every couple of weeks and, and teach scripture or I could go out and I could serve people or I could tithe this amount of money or I could um, spend every day doing something Jesus-oriented or something that's Christian and I can only listen to Caleb love or I, I, I only wear Christian t-shirts with goofy sayings on them. I can do all of these things and God will never think Eric is righteous. Ever, I could be the best and still fall far, far short and right here if you guys, I encourage you to study Hebrews, it's like, I think it's my favorite book of the Bible, if I had to pick a favorite right? it explains to me so much of how the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, work together and how God has made covenants with man throughout scripture but if you look at hebrews 10:4 which you don't have to turn there now it says that the sacrifices were not enough that yes god made this the way that they would be right before him but it was still not enough there was an incredible amount of grace being given in those those sacrifices that if you looked at Hebrews 9.23, it would say that a better sacrifice was required. Or Hebrews uh, 9.25 and 26, it says that only Christ's sacrifice would be sufficient. And that's what, that's what I want to get into. Uh, Christ's death on the cross uh, took care of some of our needs, uh, four major needs that I identified uh, while studying for this particular message. And I wanted to go through those with, with you guys, and it, it starts right with where Doughty left off, that the penalty of sin is what? The wages of sin is death, right? The very first curse of sin is death. We deserve it, right? Adam and Eve, if they would have never sinned, would have lived forever, And that's not just physical death, but that's the spiritual death whenever we no longer have a connection with God. And so, Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his dying on the cross in our place, he he became our our substitute, that we would not die, but that he died for us. That that we, we deserve this penalty but he's bearing it in our stead that he is sufficient that the wrath of god is satisfied in that sacrifice because he is perfect and holy the second thing that happens on the cross is this idea of propitiation which i'll explain here in a minute but the we actually deserve God's wrath. Not only do we deserve death, but we deserve punishment. Death is not enough of a punishment. But that our transgressions are so infinitely evil against God that we deserve an infinite punishment that would go on forever and ever and never end, that we would be completely without God. That um, Romans 2, 5 through 8 I think Corey's got that. He'll throw that up. It says, uh, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and and instead live lives of wickedness. That Jesus not only took our punishment of death, but that he took our punishment for sin, the punishment for our rebellion, that he not only made us neutral with God, but that he made us righteous before God, that his sacrifice uh, propitiates God, that it, it gives us a, 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 uh, a, a right standing before God, that we are now in a, in a positive standing before God. It's basically this idea of like a bank account where you are in the infinite negative, maybe the death that he took for you brings you back to neutral, but the righteousness of of Christ in that sacrifice that He offers to us brings us to positive that actually makes us righteous before God. And actually, in two weeks, we'll talk about this idea of imputed righteousness um, in our in our standing before God. And not only that, but that He reconciled us to God. That He didn't just make us righteous, but He He brought us closer to God. That He took away the sin in which we were slaves to. That we were chained to sin, that we could not possibly get away from it. Like Dowdy talked about last week, where you could not do good. You could not be righteous on your own. And Christ took those chains away. He unbound us from sin. The idea of this word redemption literally means that we are bought back from our sin. That he paid the payment to buy us back from the sin that we were stuck to, that we couldn't get rid of on our own. Um, There's actually a song that I heard for the first time this weekend at Siota Hills um, called Man of Sorrows. It's a very cool song by... Hillsong. And the bridge just perfectly wraps up these four points in particular. And it goes like this. Now my debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood that Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the Son sets free, Oh, is free indeed. That not only did he pay our our penalty of death and took our punishment for the wrath of God that that he rightly had for us that he he brought us closer to God through removing our sin and 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 allowing us to conquer sin we have this this hope, if we truly know what that means, if we truly know that what Jesus has done for us on the cross, there's no possible way that we can keep it to ourselves. There's no way that we couldn't share it. You know, people who truly understand what it took for Jesus to atone for our sins and what he has done for us will naturally overflow in worship will naturally overflow in in service for the sake of the gospel, will naturally overflow in sharing the gospel. There's no way that if you have news that good, and you truly understand it to be that good, that you would just keep it to yourself. And that's what we've been talking about. This idea that this, this great commission, we cannot be apathetic about it. That is not an option. That if we truly understand what Christ has done for us, that we would go out and share that with people. We can't be afraid. And you know, that's, I think that, I don't know if you guys have ever felt incredibly uh, burdened by the people around you that don't know Christ. That if, if you're around people every day and they are hopelessly lost, Finding their satisfaction in working, you know, their job, their nine to five job every single day, or or saving up for their boat or, or or just living this American dream life, or or maybe they're completely satisfied in their families or their relationships or whatever. But if you see the emptiness of all these things and you know that there is a complete joy in what Christ has done on the cross for us, that there is hope there for eternity if we know that those people are going toward eternal punishment, how can we not share that with them? How can we not find every reason to tell him about Jesus? Jeremiah 29 says, But if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's a fire in my, burn, in my bones and I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. If we truly understand what Christ's atoning work on the cross has done for us, we should not be able to hold it in. That's my challenge for you guys. We have to find every way I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to stand in front of God at the end of time and, and be like, hey, you know, Eric, it's cool because you are in Christ, that you have believed on Christ, and, and he took your punishment, that he bore the punishment for your sins. But if you had that truth, what about all of these people that you never spoke a word about it to? I'm not looking forward to that day, right? Because I fall short. I could never do enough. But there's a lot more I can do. That Portsmouth, Ohio needs Christ. That Portsmouth, Ohio needs hope. That's not hope for a better life now. That's hope for eternity. And that's our job. God's not going to zap it into people. That we are the vehicle for his message. And we need to accept the responsibility of that. I need to accept the responsibility of that. And So now as we're going to head into a time of worship. I want to encourage you guys to lay down your fears or, or your, your anxiety or whatever it is that holds you back from sharing the hope you have. Or if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if this has not really made a lot of sense, think about what Christ has done on the cross for the sake of all of us. All of us sinners. None of us are better than any, any other. And I want you to enter worship with, with the mindset of, of seeking understanding of what's, what's going on there. And, and so let's, let's enter worship together. And, and throughout this week, it's our challenge as a body of believers, as the church in Portsmouth, Ohio to go out and share the hope that we have. So let's pray. King Jesus, we are incredibly encouraged by what you've done on the cross for us. And we know we couldn't do it without you, Lord. I just pray that that you would break our hearts over that, that it would not just be this great thing that you've done for us, that is this thing that makes us feel good at night, that makes us uh, allow or allow us to sleep well at night with peace, God. Don't let it just be fire insurance for us, but let it be the hope that we cling to every single day, that it's not just about coming here once a week or going to church three or four times a week, God, but that it was about what you have done on the cross. It is our mission as your church to go out and share that. God, I pray that that would be breaking our hearts every single day, that every person we talk to that doesn't know you would be an incredible burden on us. That it, God, I pray that it won't be easy Don't let us lead easy lives. But let us go out and and seek the kingdom that you have uh, been working to build for us. God, that we would go out and we we would share what you have done for us with reckless abandon. And I pray in this time we would lay down our fears and our anxieties and know that you're there for us, that you're the ones that, you're the one that provides strength, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.